You're wanting the visitor to feel at ease so that they're open to any of the information that you're trying to tell them. They're open to relaxing. They're open to sharing maybe a more communal experience with a bunch of people. So that's my approach. Food is such a cultural connector. It's a thing that we do for with our families that everything felt very warm and lighthearted even for me thinking about my own family and, and baking with my family and doing those sorts of things and those memories that bring you back, that scent that brings you back is really a, a beautiful connection. From NYC by Design, this is The Mic, a podcast that offers an inside look into New York City's most creative minds. I'm your host, Debbie Millman. From projects to products, inspirations, and more, join us each episode as I talk to members of New York City's design community about what makes design so outstanding. This season, we're exploring the theme of our future city. We'll discuss how New York is being revitalized, reinvented, and rediscovered through design. And what better way to celebrate our future city than through the NYC by Design Festival. The festival will be returning on May 10th through the 20th for its 10-year anniversary, assembling the international design community once again to celebrate accomplishments, share new ideas, and inspire through design. As we look ahead towards the festival, let's explore some creative approaches to bringing people together. With industry professionals and enthusiasts traveling from near and far for Design Week, let's take a look at the full scope of what it really means to design an experience. On this month's episode of The Mic, we will be speaking to two influential and extraordinary creatives who have leading roles in the hospitality industry to discuss the design thinking behind memorable experiences. We are joined by Little Wing Lee, design director at Ace Hotel Group and founder of Black Folks in Design, and Catherine Pickley, curatorial director at the Museum of Food and Drink, to explore what it means to design for hospitality in today's world. From checking into a hotel, entering a new dining environment, to booking a reservation, the hospitality design industry is always finding creative ways to draw people in. After all, there's no better way to make connections than by gathering people together. Welcome, Little Wing and Catherine. Thank you so much for being here. First, I'm excited to introduce Little Wing Lee. She's an interior designer who started her formal practice, Studio and Projects, in 2019. Her sharp eye and thoughtful narrative-driven approach has brought her work with some of the most renowned and inventive design firms, including Rockwell Group, Ralph Applebaum Associates, Apparatus, and the Ace Hotel Group, where she currently holds the position of design director. Prior to her career in design, Little Wing worked in documentary television and film, contributing to several Oscar and Emmy-nominated projects. Little Wing is a graduate of the Interior Design Master's Program at Pratt Institute. She studied landscape architecture at Harvard University Graduate School of Design, 
and received her bachelor's degree from Oberlin College. Little Wing is also the founder and creative director of Black Folks in Design, an extraordinary organization whose mission is to bring awareness to and promote the cultural contributions, excellence, and importance of Black designers across all mediums. Earlier this month, she was awarded the 2022 Female Design Council and Nicole Hollis Grant. Little Wing, thank you for joining us today and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's quite an introduction. <laughs> well deserved. I'd love to start by talking about your journey into design. How did you go from a career in documentary filmmaking to one in interior design? That is a, a good question. After my time at Oberlin, as you mentioned, my degree was in African-American studies and religion. So I'd always been interested in people's histories, the culture around those histories. And so when I graduated, I really wanted to start my career in documentary film and television. And so I was lucky enough to work on some amazing projects. And my last kind of job in production was working for Bill Moyers at PBS, which was an incredible experience. And I worked for about three years on a series on death and dying. So of course, during that time, you're reflecting on your own life, following all of our characters at the end of their life, thinking what's meaningful to me, knowing that my time here is limited. And so we had a break between productions. And I would say for most of my life, my mother had been telling me to go to the GSD and to do this career discovery program. And I thought, why is she always telling me to do this? I'm not an architect, I'm not a designer, but I'd always been interested in art and design and never studied it in any formal way. So I thought that this kind of moment between productions was the perfect opportunity to take the time. Uh, and so I spent the summer at Harvard at the career discovery program which is a program to give people an introduction to what graduate school in design would be. And it was an incredible experience. I highly recommend it to everyone. And because it is at Harvard, we have weekly lectures from amazing architects and designers. We have access to the Harvard library. We're going on field trips and we really have a chance to focus and study in the studio. So you're working on studio projects and it really just gave me my first introduction to design. So working with Landscape architects, urban planners, and architects was a changing experience. So my focus was landscape architecture. I was really into design. I'm still, I was really into gardening, I should say. And I thought landscape architecture would be kind of like a natural transition from documentary filmmaking to gardening to architecture. So I had a great time after going back and working with Bill for a few more months, I decided to leave and I started a job at a landscape architecture firm, which was a good decision. I think to be around the discipline and understanding kind of the scale of the projects, it helped me to realize that I wanted something at a more intimate, smaller scale and something with a faster turnaround. So during that time, I was taking a lot of art and design classes and then decided to pursue my master's at Pratt. And the rest is history. It's such a brave and inspiring thing to make a big pivot like that. When you were doing it, were you worried? Were you nervous? Or did you just feel like this was what your destiny needed to be and you took that path forward courageously? I was pretty nervous. I think Moving from documentary film to design, it's like you're learning a whole new language. Uh, you're learning how to draw. You're learning how to express 
your ideas through drawings and imagery and also to learn the language of design. So I was nervous, but I was also excited and had this feeling that this is where I was meant to be in a strange way. And I think also the people that I met at Pratt uh, were in a similar situation as I was, as we'd been kind of experts in a previous career and we're all taking this leap to a new field. So I think we're all kind of in a similar situation, but I was definitely afraid. And also knowing that I was going into more school debt <laughs> rather than <laughs> continuing to make money, but I felt that this was the right decision. Little Wing, this month, we're really digging into what it means to design an experience. But that can mean a lot of different things for a lot of people in a lot of different disciplines, some in design and some outside of design. What does designing an experience mean to you? For me, I think about the user of the space, the visitor to the hotel, the visitor to a museum, the inhabitant of the apartment or the house. And what is their experience going to be moving through these spaces? I often think about the initial approach to the space. What is it that they're seeing on the facade? Let's say open the door. What does that handle feel like? Is there music or what are the sounds that they're hearing as they walk into the space? And so you're really trying to craft a story. I guess it's telling a story visually. I think it's also important that you're establishing an atmosphere or what is the vibe of the space or the place. And I think you're wanting the visitor to feel at ease. I think that's also important for me so that they're open to any of the information that you're trying to tell them. They're open to relaxing. They're open to sharing maybe a more communal experience with a bunch of people. So that's my approach to design is wanting all the visitors or people using the space to feel at ease and so that they're open to the new experience that they're about to be a part of. Hospitality design in particular presents a really unique and special opportunity to bring people together, but probably now more importantly than ever before. How do you think good design enables the best kind of connection? Good design enables the best uh, kind of connection by creating these moments for people to come together, whether it's in an intimate way, whether it's dinner for two, or it's a birthday party for 10, or you're going to a large dance party. I'm just thinking about kind of the different scales in which people connect is important. And also thinking about kind of the time that a visitor spends in a space. And thinking about a hotel for some visitors, they're going to come to the lobby, they're going to have a cup of coffee, and then they're going to continue on their journey for the day. Other people are checking in to the hotel, spending time in their room. Other people are coming for a large event, say a wedding or birthday party. And so wanted to be sure that no matter the amount of time that you're spending at the hotel, you're taking a piece of that experience with you. So I think a lot about the different ways that people are using a hotel, or even an exhibit, or even a larger public space. One thing that I've noticed in hotels more often than not now is an aroma. You walk into a hotel and there seems to be some type of signature yes. scent. Yes, yes. Talk about that because <laughs> I find that a little bit <laughs> off-putting. <laughs> scent is such a sensitive and personal and intimate 
experience. Yes. I'm, I'm wondering where that came from and what your opinion of it is. I'm not quite sure where it has come from, but I have experienced it, as you said, in a way that is a bit off-putting, but then I have also experienced it in a way that's really beautiful and memorable. I spent my honeymoon in Morocco and was looking enough to stay at La Mamounia. I don't know if you've stayed there. Oh, yes, I've been there. Yes. It's an amazing, yes. amazing hotel. But when you walk into the lobby, it's this extremely strong kind of orange blossom rose water scent, which at first is very intense. But I think as you stay there, you become used to it. And now whenever I smell orange blossom, I immediately go back to La Mamounia. But I think using scent in a more subtle way, I think it could be a really powerful way to trigger someone's memory. I think we all have memories connected to scent, whether for me, it was like walking in my grandmother's garden and smelling her flowers or the apple trees. So I think it's a powerful way to, to trigger memory. The nice thing about La Mamounia is that it seems to take its notes from the surroundings because of all the trees in in the gardens around the hotel that is emitting that that scent. It does seem to be inspired by that. Other hotels you walk in and it just reminds me of those old scent strips yes. you used to get in magazines <laughs> yeah. and like I tear them out the first thing and throw them yes. away before no, I, I can even read the magazine. I, I, but they'd always be residual. <laughs> I, I really want to talk to you about Black Folks in Design. This is an organization, an incredible network that you've built. You founded it. Talk about the origin story, if you can. Where did the idea come from? How has it grown? What are your hopes for the future? So I was lucky enough to be part of the exhibition design team for the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. And when the project started, the design team was predominantly Black, so a mix of architects, interior designers, exhibition designers, graphic designers, interactive designers. And for me, that had been the first design project uh, where I'd been in a room with a majority Black uh, design team. Most of my experiences, I'm one of three Black designers or maybe the only Black designer and maybe the other Black person is in a different department. So for me to be a part of such an important project and have the opportunity to work on such an iconic project was an amazing experience. And also given my background in African-American studies and interior design, I just thought this was the perfect kind of project <laughs> to work on. And it was an incredible experience working with such talented, creative people. And so the project came to an end and I was out having dinner and drinks with a friend and former colleague. And we were reminiscing about the project. And I thought, I said to her, I said, when are we going to have this opportunity to work together on such an important project with such an amazing team? I said, I wish there was a group of that we could all get together and share ideas and laugh and have, have our share our shared experiences. And she was like, well, why don't you start it? And I thought, you're right. Why don't I start it? So that's what I did. So a few weeks later, I emailed my network of Black designers and I said, let's meet at a bar. It was a former friend of mine from Pratt who owns a bar in Brooklyn. And so we had about 20 Black designers all get together at a bar. So it was fashion, graphics, architects, interior designers, and we just had an amazing time. And so everyone's like, when are we doing this again? And I thought, let's do it again. So that was a, the beginning of Black folks in design. And so I've mostly been hosting informal uh, get-togethers and connecting people 
started, of course, in New York City. And then that network has expanded to Chicago, LA, uh, Miami, Berlin, Brussels. And so I think in meeting other Black designers, we're also excited to meet other people with similar experiences and interests. And so that's how the network has grown. And later next month in May, we're hosting our first curated show during New York Design Week, which I'm super excited. So I curated the show and it's a mix of designers uh, from New York, Canada, Berlin. And so I hope everyone can stop by and see the show. That's incredible. Congratulations on starting something so necessary and so important. I know you're also currently working with an incredible cohort of women to design the new home of the National Black Theater. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, that's also an amazing project. So, <laughs> uh, National Black Theater has been in its location on Fifth Avenue at 125th Street since 1968, which is incredible. It was started and founded by Dr. Barbara Ann Tier, and currently it is being run by her daughter, who is the CEO. So National Black Theater partnered with Ray, which is a residential developer, to redevelop the site for NBT. So it's a kind of a, a new partnership between both organizations. Ray is developing culturally relevant and art-focused residential developments, and they've partnered with National Black Theater. Frida Escobedo is the design architect for the entire building, and it was such an amazing experience working with her. For Ray, we worked primarily in the public spaces, so worked on the lobby, there's a restaurant and a bar. And with National Black Theater, we focused on their more public-facing spaces. And so having the opportunity to work with National Black Theater, which is such a historic and important cultural element to Harlem, to New York City, and I would say an important part of the Black arts movement has been such a joy. And we've been able to learn so much from Shade and Jonathan, who is the creative director. Dr. Tier was really focused on the idea of Black liberation through the arts. And so working with NBT and having access to their archives, to Dr. Tier's letters, has been a true kind of inspiration and kind of the North Star in guiding that project. It's an amazing team, as you said, it's predominantly women, which has been fun to work on. Again, that's also a rarity, I would say, in architecture and interior design to have a team uh, which is led by a woman architect. And then a lot of the AORs are women. So it's just been an incredible experience. Little Wing, one thing I noticed when I was looking at the project on your website was the notion, and I, I, I think this is correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, the theater is located in the residential building. And I thought that was so unusual. I thought it was just incredible to be able to live in a building where there also is a theater. It's such an unusual combination. And given that we're talking about experiences, how did that sort of duality mm -hmm. of having a public space along with a private space, how did you manage to navigate through that? Or how are you navigating through it, really, since it's an ongoing project? So National Black Theater has always had retail components to their spaces. Dr. Tier kind of thought that these spaces would help fund 
the art in their original building. There were retail spaces, art galleries, there were spaces for nonprofits, children's programs. So that had always been a part of the theater's culture. And partnering with Ray, it was a natural progression. This idea, of course, you would have people living in a space where you would have a theater and that there would be these retail components. So I think for National Black Theater, it was a natural progression of that idea. The way that the building is designed, there's a podium at the base. And so that kind of houses the retail floor on the ground floor. There's a large kind of event public space on the second floor. And then National Black Theater's home are on the third and fourth floors. So it's the retail kind of starts in this upper tower. So the kind of podium is the more public part of the project. And then the more intimate private is the tower above. And when do you anticipate the project will be complete? Well, we're hoping uh, for January 2024. So we have a ways to go. Really excited. Little Wingley, thank you so much for joining me here today on the mic. Please stick around, though. I'd love to have you join me again after I chat with Catherine. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. I am so pleased now to be able to introduce Catherine Pickley. Catherine is a food historian, a writer, a curator, and her work focuses on the intersection of food, culture, memory, and place. Four of my favorite things. As the curatorial director at the Museum of Food and Drink, she brings a multidisciplinary approach to her work overseeing the creation of exhibitions and robust public programming for adults and children. Catherine led the development of MOFAD's major exhibitions, Flavor, Making It and Faking It, and Chow, Making the Chinese American Restaurant. Gallery shows Feasts and Festivals, Nights of the Raj, and highlights from the collection, and led development of MOFED's current show, African American, Making the Nation's Table, curated by Dr. Jessica B. Harris, now running through June 19th at the Africa Center. Previously, Catherine worked as a researcher at the Chicago Historical Society and the Heinz History Center, and has written for a number of major publications. She holds a master's degree in food studies from Chatham University, and a bachelor's with honors in social and cultural history from Carnegie Mellon University. Catherine, it is absolutely wonderful to have you. Welcome to the mic. Thank you so much, Debbie. I'm really excited to be here today. Catherine, I'd love to start out by exploring your journey into food. Like Little Wing, with a completely different background, yours was in social and cultural history. How did you navigate to food? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm always surprised at how long, not that it was that long, but how long it took me to get to food. When I was studying social and cultural history, I was also working towards a music minor in clarinet performance. And most of my studies really revolved around music and music history and thinking about how music reflects certain points in history or shapes how we think about certain points in history. And so when I think about that and then think about what I do with food today, it's really not all that different. But, you know, I was in college and I thought I would write for Rolling Stone, but didn't really have any idea of how I would get there. And after school, I I worked in retail for a while. I, you know, worked at a pottery barn and sold worked in the tabletop department and sold plates and cups and dishes and all of those sorts of things and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But food had always been such an important part of my life. 
When my family was together, we were always together around food, not just eating and cooking, but meal planning and grocery shopping and gardening. And that's just how we were together. And there was a point where I was thinking, okay, how can I work in food when I don't want to be a chef? What does that look like for me? And at the time, sort of learned more about food studies programs. And it was like a light bulb went off. I really want to study food and think about food in a more academic way. Again, like how can we think about food, our food in a moment in time and how that shapes the times that we live in. And so, yeah, went back to school to study food and was very lucky when I moved to New York that the Museum of Food and Drink was just starting out. And I started volunteering and have done just about everything you could do at a small growing museum and feel really grateful that I get to push forward our our mission as curatorial director. I'd like to ask you the same question that I first posed to Little Wing. Can you talk about what designing an experience means through your eyes? Yeah, at the museum, we often start with a story or a piece, a kernel of a story or a a food culture or a question that we want to answer, a story that we want to tell. And we think through who are the best people to help us tell the story. And then how do we tell that story, not just in words and images, but also through objects, through installations, through interactive experiences. At MOFAD, of course, we say you have to eat, right? (laughs) Like you learned all about food. We've talked a lot about different things. And at the end, we want you to like literally digest that information as well. So how do you think about what a food experience within a museum looks like and how that helps you further tell that story? Hospitality and experience design presents a really unique opportunity to bring people together, especially when you add food, then it becomes a whole other experience. How do you think that food impacts the way in which we come together? How does it influence the possibilities of the way we come together? I think Food is a really easy way to bring people together. Even if you don't like food, and I know there are people out there who, you know, don't love food or don't love to eat, but you have to. We all have to, you know, eat multiple times a day. And so there's that there's that connection inherent that sort of biologically we all need to do this thing. And then it represents so so much more in terms of culture, in terms of all sorts of different things. And so in my opinion, bringing people together on food is really interesting and really easy. And then it's like, what conversations can we have from there? At the museum, we think about, okay, you're here because you're interested and you love it, but can we talk about things that are uncomfortable, perhaps? This is the place where we're all together and feeling commensal. And what can we learn about food and the food system that's a little bit harder while we're here together and we're more open and eating? What kinds of things do you think are the most challenging at the moment that we really do need to be spending more time and attention towards? Well, for us right now, that's our current exhibition, African slash American Making the Nation's Table, a a project that we've been working on since 2017. It was supposed to open in early 2020 and has been delayed or was delayed, is now open and really bringing people together to celebrate African-American contributions to American cuisine has been really important for us sitting down 
celebrating those stories, but also honoring that history, that painful history of enslavement, of racism, of institutional racism, and thinking about how, again, this joyful piece of food history comes out of that. What do you hope are the sort of lead genes that people might be inspired to know and understand in a better way coming out of viewing the exhibition? Our thesis for the exhibition and the thing that we all hope everyone takes away is that African-American food is American food. African-American hospitality is American hospitality. African-American beer and spirits are American beer and spirits and wines. On a smaller level, Dr. Harris always talked about we want people to have these aha moments. Did you know that one in four cowboys were African-American? Did you know about Frederick McKinley Jones, who invented the first portable roof mounted refrigeration unit for trucks and really created global cold chain transport that really, you know, impacts the way the whole entire world eats. What are those sort of smaller stories, not small in, you know, size? What are those aha moments that people can take away and really think about for themselves? And for me, as someone who has, you know, studied public history, there's also the aspect of what will you do? Like, what will your contribution be to the story moving forward? When you're curating an exhibition, what is your thought process in how you design the visitor experience? How do you think about how you want to lead them through an exhibition? So we do that in a couple of different ways. Again, thinking about what Little Wing was saying earlier, like who is your visitor? What different sorts of visitor are you designing for? You know, there's the museum goer that reads everything. There's a museum goer that reads a little bit. There are people who don't want to read anything at all, and that's fine. What are the pieces that can capture attention, the attention of each of those types of visitors? A big thing that we thought about for this exhibition in particular is how do we tell 400 years of history in 3,000 square feet? There are so many stories you can tell. And so one of the things that we did in this was create an installation called the Legacy Quilt. And it's a massive quilt, 14 feet tall, about 30 feet across. And it has 406 quilt blocks, each one representing an African-American contribution to American cuisine. And so the hope is that you can sit, you can look, you can explore each of those stories. And we've really found that a lot of people might go through the exhibition and then come back and sit again and explore more. You know, how do you think about the people who want to have a digital experience or walking through the amazing Ebony Test Kitchen? We want people to be in that space and feel that space. And there's a soundtrack, all of that stuff that's going on. There are interviews so that visitors can really sort of feel what it felt like to be in that space. As you mentioned, the show was originally scheduled to open in April of 2020 and was postponed until February of this year. How have the last few years influenced the show, if, if at all? Yeah, so we didn't necessarily change anything in the show, but I do think that the exhibition was an important one before. It would, was very important in 2020. It definitely feels more important today with the events of the past couple of years when Black folks are being murdered. We have to think about what, how are we, again, how are we telling these stories? How are we showcasing Black creativity and skill and ingenuity and entrepreneurship and talking about all of those things and saying Black lives matter, Black food matters? 
You also recently juried an exhibition entitled Doe, D-O-U-G-H, at the Hera Gallery in Rhode Island. And in your juror statement, you talk about the ephemerality of food and the ability of dough to lift us during hard times, especially when connection is difficult. Can you talk a little bit about the sort of magical qualities of dough and how it does that? I mean, I think that materiality piece of it, getting your hands in something, creating something, saying I made this when it's done is really so very important, I think. And it was funny during that show, looking at those pieces, because so many of the pieces that came through and so many of the artist statements that were submitted were about family, my mother's hands or my grandmother's rolling pins. It's something Again, like food is such a cultural connector. It's a thing that we do for with our families that everything felt very warm and lighthearted even. And I don't know, I was surprised. I was surprised at how like lovely that whole process felt. And I do think that for me, thinking about my own family and, and baking with my family and doing those sorts of things and those memories that bring you back, that scent that brings you back is really a a beautiful connection. There's something I think really soulful about bread, breaking bread, making bread. I'm wondering, does the design of the food service, whether it be potluck or buffet, individual serves, impact the experience of design or how does it impact versus the cuisine itself? I absolutely think that the design of service impacts like how you experience that. I think over the last couple of years, especially I think about eating in dining sheds uh, around New York and what that has felt like and what that has meant and what those all of those sort of like material qualities, like what that has meant and that sort of feeling of I'm taking back some power here by eating outside in the shed with my disposable fork and also or inviting people over or sitting in the backyard Um going to, in grad school, we had so many potlucks together, which was really fun. Even at the museum, sitting around at our last exhibition, Chow, we had a demo kitchen and a walk station and everybody sat down at the end of their experience and, and ate together and learned together and how that really just crosses that line for you and like completes that experience. The last question I have for you before we ask Little Wing to come back is, about the Museum of Food and Design's statement, in, in your values, you state that food is culture. Can you talk a little bit about more about what that means to you, to the museum, just in general? Yeah, I mean, I think food really tells us who we are or helps us show the world who we are. And I think food as well can showcase our differences, but also showcase our similarities. Everybody, every culture has a, a dumpling or most people in the world eat chicken. You know, like there are those things that are are different, but also are the same. And yeah, we use that idea that food is culture really as a lens to help us understand ourselves, each other and the world around us. And that's what we do at MOFAD. Thank you so much for sharing that. I do think it's really incredible how really every culture has some form of dumpling. I wonder why that is. Maybe it's the combination of the dough and the meat somehow. <laughs> 
I'd love to bring back Little Wing. I'd like to talk a little bit more about your mutual thoughts on the power of hospitality and, and design. This is a question for both of you. With your perspective, Little Wing, with your perspective on the value of thoughtfully designed interior spaces, and Catherine, with your perspective on the power of food, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the importance of creating memorable experience in hospitality with both interior design and food to create the most extraordinary moments for people. For me, I think your sensory experience of interior design and food, I think when those both come together, you're creating something that's extremely powerful. When you think about walking into a cafe, say in Milan, you're looking at a beautiful interior, you're smelling the coffee, you're looking at beautiful pastries. And so you're building this anticipation of you're going to have an amazing cappuccino, you're going to eat this delicious treat, you're going to sit at a really comfortable chair at a beautiful marble table. So I think all of those elements coming together create uh, an extremely memorable and pleasurable experience that you'll remember, hopefully, for the, the rest of your life. Catherine, what about you? What are your thoughts on how interior design and food can collaborate to create the most meaningful experiences? I definitely agree with what Little Wing said. I also think a lot about, you know, I live in New York in a small apartment. The fact that cafe, a restaurant, a bar, that's our living room, a park, a museum. Those are the places that we go and entertain our friends and our family. And so going into a space that feels welcoming, like your home, comforting, like your home, and where you can also sit and gather and eat is really important. I'm really curious, over the last few years in these COVID times, we've seen, particularly in big cities like New York, the growth of the sort of hybrid outdoor indoor space. Some of the outdoor spaces have evolved so much that they're enclosed they feel like they're almost enclosed indoor spaces, but they're mostly really rough hewn. They're not particularly well designed. They're certainly not pretty. I have yet to see one that I think looks really inviting and comforting. What do you see? What do you both see as the future of hospitality and food post pandemic? Do you think that these structures are going to stay? Should they stay? Should there be some criteria for design? Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts and feelings about this? I definitely have mixed feelings about these outdoor structures. I agree with you. Often, it's not a pleasant dining experience. That feels very temporary. But I do think that there's this trend towards bringing nature into these spaces that with a lot of these temporary structures, they're trying to make it beautiful by introducing flake flowers or foliage. But I think that idea of being close to nature seems to be a trend that a lot with more plants uh, in interior spaces, this idea of maybe having the audible experience of water. I think this kind of freshness in nature is something that people want in their homes and in their public spaces. So for me, I think that is a, a trend in hospitality for hotels or in restaurants that you definitely see in the residential space as well. Catherine, what about you? Yeah, as a professional eater, so my professional eater, I will say I've I've loved the dining shed experience. I, I think that 
Something that happened in in the city during the pandemic that was really wonderful were the open streets and the sitting outside. Those small restaurants and businesses being able to spill out into the street. I live down the street from an open street and every year now the business district raises money and has open streets all week, every weekend over the summer. And that just opened up again. It feels like an extended block party. And there's something really wonderful about that public space and that uh, community. And I think definitely, how do we bring that back inside that sort of block party spirit and attitude and also continue to help our small restaurants and businesses get over the effects of the economic effects of the pandemic. Are you seeing any interesting trends, any best practices in any establishments and environments that you'd like to see more of? I definitely agree um, with what Little Wings was saying about nature. There's certainly a lot of flower boxes and plants, and those things are coming back inside, which is nice as well. Anything that you're seeing, Little Wing, that you're like, oh, I need to see more of this? (laughs) (laughs) I think what Catherine had said before, like these open streets, I think thinking about kind of small intimate restaurants, which yeah, probably hard to get a table now that their dining room has doubled, you're kind of able to experience that restaurant in a different way. So there are restaurants that do have beautiful outdoor sidewalk setups, or I have an 11 year old son. And so it is nice to be able to sit out at a restaurant. And when he's finished, he can go run around with his friends or walk down the street and get dessert. And then the adults can linger around a glass of wine. So I do kind of like this flexibility that it's giving to families of that you could have a meal together, your kids can play, you're all in the same space and able to enjoy a night out. I'd love to know from both of you, what is your vision for the future of New York City look like, both in the design world and outside the design world? What are you what are you hoping for the future? That's an excellent question. I guess when I think about design and how I would like to see that affect the future of the city and our larger community. I think it's trying to take a more equitable approach to design, thinking about the way that cities are planned, starting with urban planning, thinking about the architecture in neighborhoods and interior design. I think often design has been saved for people with a lot of money. And that if you're poor or living in kind of underserved communities, that design is not translated to your home, to your neighborhood. And I think for me, I feel that design can have such a great impact on the way you feel about your school, the way you feel about your neighborhood, the way you feel about going to church, coming together. So I think it's extremely important that we think about the way that neighborhoods are designed, the buildings in those neighborhoods, and how those spaces are treated for everyone so that design is more democratic and accessible to everybody. I love that. I just hope it's possible with Wing. I really do. Yes, me too. <laughs> I think <laughs> slow steps, slow, like, it's very slow. It needs to be a bit faster, but hopefully we'll get there. Catherine, what about you? I definitely agree. I think a sort of more equitable, people-focused approach to the way cities are planned and designed is really important. Again, this sort of public spaces, public commons, I, I really have enjoyed that and I want to see that really continue. And then, of course, hopefully a permanent home for the Museum of Food and Drink uh, somewhere in the city soon. 
Do you envision that? Do you think that's on the horizon? It's something that we are certainly working towards, yes. Oh, that sounds absolutely marvelous. I have two last questions for you both. First, what advice would you give to young designers and curators just beginning their careers? I think my advice to young designers and curators, even though I'm not a curator, um, is to stay curious. It sounds very simple. Ooh, it's uh, hard. But just to always, yeah, it is hard, uh, to always be sure that you're trying something new, that you're looking at new things. Oftentimes you find inspiration in the most kind of unusual places. I was at the a children's museum today and <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing exhibit design. Or I didn't know that there was a shark that looked like this. This could be an amazing pattern for a textile in the future. And I also think that it's important for young designers to realize that all things that they're interested in will connect later on in their life. They might not see it now, but at some point in the future, you'll have a project that is going to relate to something that you've been passionate about your entire life. I didn't think that African-American studies and design would come together in any kind of way. It was both things I was interested in. I've been lucky that it has come together. And so my interest in religion and design has helped, I think, further my design. For folks that are interested in learning more about Black folks in design, where can they find information? You can find us on Instagram, of course, <laughs> Black folks in design. Uh, and then we also have a website, blackfolksindesign.com. And Catherine, what about you? What advice would you give young designers and curators just beginning their careers? I would say just keep asking questions, keeping thoughtful and, and asking questions. And one of the things that sort of drives my work and the way that we try to design things around at the museum is why does this matter? What it, why does this story matter? And how can we get that across in as many ways as possible for people? And for those that are interested in visiting or supporting the Museum of Food and Drink, how can they do that? They can go to mofad.org, M-O-F-A-D, can donate, sign up to volunteer, buy tickets to come see the exhibition or one of our amazing public programs, book a school group. And of course, we're on Instagram as well at mofad. Wonderful. Thank you both for joining us today on NYC by Designs the Mic. Our very special guests, Little Wing Lee and Catherine Piccoli, for inspiring us with their creativity, vision, and innovation. Join me next month to talk even more design on the mic. And we hope to see you at the NYC by Design Festival in May. It's just around the corner. Mark it on your calendars. Follow at NYC by Design on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And subscribe to the newsletter for the latest in New York City design.